Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Today's episode is sponsored by my Lit Daily Online Yoga Classes. This is an exclusive pass into my personal practice and program that I created from experience as a physical therapist and 20 years developing my Lit Yoga methodology. There is a different class with me every day, including special monthly live streams, so you can feel your most lit up anytime and anywhere. Get a three-day free trial today by going to movementbylara.com and clicking daily classes. Let's get moving. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a Movement by Lara podcast which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through safer and smarter movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Before I get into today's episode, just to let you know, there's still opening for the online Lit Yoga Level 1 teacher training that starts February 2nd. I'm sorry, February 3rd, but it closes February 2nd. So if you're interested in learning the way I teach the Lit Yoga style, then please check it out at lityoga.com. It will be transformative. Dun, dun, dun. Today is Wednesday Q&A. You ask questions and I answer to the best of my ability. And so let's get going. Tasha's Handstands asks me, how do I know if I have a good balance of strength between hip flexors and deep? So that's a good question. Um, hip flexors, I think you're probably talking about these superficial hip flexors, like the rectus femoris, um, that maybe even the tensor fascia lata, that is a hip flexor as well, that are responsible for flexing the hip, which would be when you bring your femur toward your body. So that's a flexion. It's the angle between the femur and the pelvis is shortening and that's a flexion. And then there's deep abdominals, which would include a hip flexor known as the iliopsoas. So what I think a lot of people, what I think Tasha is getting into here is 
how do we balance the um, space that we want in the anterior hip, the front of the hip, with you know this idea of flexibility there, and but we also need strength there to help control the pelvis. So the, when the pelvis is tipping forward or backward, and it's doing that because it's there's not um, enough deep core muscles, the deep abdominals, then you do need more strength in the deep abdominals, and you also probably need it in the hip flexors. So what I will tell you is, generally speaking, a way to figure out if your hip flexors are strong enough is to stand on one leg. So if you were to stand on your left leg and get that left glute really activated, like grip with that left butt cheek, and then pull your right thigh up towards your belly with a knee bend, like you're doing this marching, like marching band marching, and pull it up there and then get it as high as you can and then hold it there. And can you hold it there for 30 seconds, for instance, without changing in the pelvis, without um, jutting the ribs or anything like that? And so that'll give you an idea, like, is your or your hip flexors functionally strong enough? Because they should be able to have that range of motion, not that your thigh is going to touch your belly, but you should be able to get the knee up. And many people cannot. So there's a lot that's happening with that movement. It's not just pure hip flexion. It's the the left hip extension needs to help stabilize the pelvis. The deep abdominals, like you're referring to, need to draw the front of the body back so there's not any tipping of the pelvis either forward or back. And then the hip flexors have a chance to kick in. So the hip flexors might not be strong for a few reasons. One is they don't have a stabilization, they don't have an opposite or what's called contralateral stabilization. So if your glutes are not strong, most likely your hip flexors are also not strong because to flex your hips really well, you need that stabilization of the pelvis. And a lot of that's going to come from that contralateral, that opposite hip, glute, gluteus maximus. Another reason is you might not have the range of motion. So say you start to lift that right leg and you just get, and you get to a point, and this happens a lot with people, they complain about like their hip is clicking. It feels like it's stuck. They literally can't bring the thigh up. They're like, I don't know if it's, what's wrong. I don't have the range of motion. So you need the ability for the femur to glide posteriorly. Like, so if I'm lifting the right thigh, it, my right femur is coming up, but it also is dropping down and back into the right glute a little bit. Otherwise, you would run, you would just run out of room and, and it would feel like you couldn't lift your hip into the full range of hip flexion if your femur is going and just drawing the opposite way. So you that's one way to feel figure out do you have your deep core like your deep abdominals do you have your deep core like your hip flexors like the iliopsoas and you can do this lying down as well the key thing lying down standing up whenever you're working on range of motion in your hip flexion and also the strength there is can you keep the pelvis stable we tend to hike up in the pelvis in lieu of working the hip flexion um, there's so many ways to do that. And I have a lot of these drills on my Instagram page, but of course, also on my Lit Daily. You can use your hand to press the thigh way. So say, again, going back to that first thing, you're standing on the left leg, you lift the right leg up, you don't change the pelvis. 
You get as high as you can with the right leg and then put your right hand on the top of the right thigh and push down, but resist that. So there's no motion, but there's a lot of action happening internally. And that's one way of getting the hip flexors, the deep hip flexors and and some of the deep abdominals activated. So try that. And I hope that answers your question, Tasha. We have um, a lot of this, again, not to sell my online, but on my online training, we spend a good amount of time early on discussing the difference between movement of the pelvis and movement of the hips, and then ways of um, creating activation in the hip flexion, in the hip flexors, and in the hip extensors. And there's just so many different I mean, I just gave you one example, standing and lying down, but there's a way more prone, sideline, all that kind of stuff using the wall. It, so it can go on and on. Yes, you're onto something. You need to have that balance between the strength and the length. So, and a lot of it also comes from the activation of the glutes. So Nicole Prenton, who is doing my online training, woo, wrote, how can I make sure my pelvis stays neutral in twisted crescent? I have a hard time. You are not alone, Nicole. Many people do. So there's two things, and you'll learn a lot more about this um, on the online training as well. But um, the pelvis, so in say your your left leg is forward and you're in a crescent lunge, so your right toes are on the floor. And in a twisted crescent, your right hand is on the floor and the left arm is up and you're turning. So what she's referring to is many people turn through that low part of their back into the lumbosacral area. The lumbosacral area. Anytime you have um, a transition of one segment of the spine into another, so like cervical to thoracic, thoracic to lumbar, lumbar to sacrum, you're going to have more mobility in that transition area. And those are often areas that we develop if we move there and, and don't have that stabilization and we just move over and over again, they develop some potential overuse and uh, tweakiness and even like um, increased fascia tightness and things like that. So the lumbosacral area is a loosey-goosey area, okay? It's, it's the bottom of the lumbar spine into the sacrum and people will move there. So they'll twist from that. So how do you prevent that from happening? You overdo, I don't want to say overdo it, but you focus on your right glute, which is your back leg, the right glute gripping, 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 lift your right thigh up. So you might have to actually lift your pelvis higher than you're used to. The other thing that you can do in addition to this or instead of that is put a block underneath your right hand, the hand that's on the ground for the twist. And then actively pull your right hand back towards your right foot as you lift your right thigh up and grip the glute. And then your intention is not to do like a huge rotation But instead, think about lengthening the spine, leaning back into the right shoulder blade and rotating the chest to the left. So some of it is just people will imitate a movement and do it in all the ways that their body finds the easiest way to do. So that would be like moving in the pelvis, moving in the low back. And so the best thing to do here to keep that neutral pelvis is work, like I was just saying in the first question, work the glute that will stabilize your pelvis so much because the glute shares thick fascial connections to the thoracodorsal fascia of the back body. So all of that activation there will hold the spine in neutral. It will hold the pelvis in neutral. So you, if you, if you dial that down and let that pelvis go and let the, the butt become all squishy, ugh, not good. 
you'll just kind of sag into it. So it sounds like you know that that's something you're going to have to pay attention to. So pay attention to that. And I promise it will improve. With all of these things, it's better to make a the movement smaller and more stable to retrain the brain uh, than to hold and onto proximal strength, which is the strength closest to uh, the axial skeleton, your, your spine and your rib cage, and in your pelvis. So the appendicular skeleton is your or, or your limbs. So the the axial skeleton really needs to be stable, uh, and before you think about anything else, honestly. Okay. Sea Light Art asked me foot health. How to help get the feeling and control in the toes? How to increase dorsiflexion? There's always a lot of feet questions, and you're not alone there. Um, so feet control of the toes. You first of all, you have to free the feet. So you have to spend time barefoot. You have to spend time without barefoot, literally, not even with socks on. Because what I find is when you put your when you put your feet in socks, they're also going to be a little bit bound, not as bound as a shoe for sure. And then you don't have also the shoe has a um, surface or a bottom to it that can be quite thick, and you lose a lot of energetic exchange through that um, surface. So if you have your foot in a sock, you're still getting a lot of energy, but your foot is more contained. So if you want to get some freedom and mobility in your toes, free up your feet as much as possible. I've talked about it before. Toe spacers, Correct Toe is the brand that I recommend, and that will help you open up your toes and get some get that like feeling of, of spaciousness. Then you can get more control on them. So your, your toes have to first uh, be mobile and pliable to then have control. Because if you're, if you're rigid in your toes, the control you get will often be some kind of compensatory strategy. So get the space and opening in the control. The other thing is to, to like people often ask me, in Sun Citation 1, when I teach, we have the top of the foot down, that's called plantar flexion. And then we also have the um, toes tucked under which gets um, an extension, I'm sorry, flexion in the toes. So right at the the metatarsal area where where the toe mounds are, we're putting the toes underneath. So that is the reason I do that is that's getting getting the the top of the foot um, really open when when you have the toes down. So the whole top of the foot is on the floor. And then when you tuck the toes, you're getting more mobility in the toes and you're getting a, a sense of that kind of push off that you will will need for a lot of things, including just walking. So one way to get more control in the, in the feet and the toes is to move them in a variety of ways, stretch them in a variety of ways. Don't just keep them stuck in one way. Spread the toes out actively on your own in addition to having perhaps the correct toes. And then practice things like your heel bops, which I've talked about in other podcasts, where you are standing, pushing down into the first metatarsal head. So that's like the big toe mount and then lifting the heels up and committing to pressing like a rubber stamp, that big toe mount into the floor and then lowering the heels, lift and lower there. That is an action of the ankle and and the toes are not doing as much, but they're controlling the liftoff and the descent because the big toe in its action when when it has a lot of good control is pressing through that first med head. Um, and so we want to be able to do that. 
How do you increase ankle dorsiflexion? So ankle dorsiflexion is when you're flexing the area between the lower limb and the ankle joint. So that's, um, you're shortening that distance. And so for instance, if I was hinging and I start to hinge at the hips, my, my hips bend, uh, my hips flex, my knees flex, and then my ankles flex. Now, when you lack ankle dorsiflexion, and there's many reasons for that, your heels will start to lift off the floor in a squat. And that is because you you lack that range of motion there. So there's different techniques. There's a couple things like the Taylor Glide I've um, referenced in, in, I do this in some of my 500 hour, like how do you, mo- how do, you do a little self-mobilization because that talus has to mobilize posteriorly. It's kind of similar to the femur going back into the pelvis. The talus has to move back toward the calcaneus. That's that's ankle dorsiflexion. That that's the motion that happens. You have to commit to keeping your heel down as you hinge at the hips. So a lot of times I'll do side lunges, which is a great way of not directly in the sagittal plane working the triple flexion of hip, knee, and ankle. So for instance, if your feet are wide apart, you would side lunge to the right and think sit back into the right glute. Don't let the right knee project forward. Not because that's like your knee can't do that, but what it's indicating is that you're not flexing as much in your hip and perhaps in your ankle. So if you want to work on true ankle dorsiflexion, you got to get your hip flexion there, range of motion full. And so you'll sit back in your side lunge. So say I'm bending the right knee, flexing in the right hip and not allowing that right heel to come off the floor. In addition to that, so you could always position a block under your left hand or both hands, keep sitting back, but you can take your right, so you're, again, you're working right ankle dorsiflexion, you can take your right hand and kind of cuff it around the hinge point of the ankle just with this feedback to get more space in there because ankle dorsiflexion, when it's when it's not, when you don't have the full range, if it feels like it's just, you've, you've met the in range bone to bone. And so just putting the hand in there helps the facilitation of a little bit more space in the ankle joint. I think that's pretty technical, but I'm hoping that you can imagine this as I'm saying it out loud. One is that you really have to commit to um, flexing in the hip and in the ankle without that knee projecting forward in your squats. So I hope that helped you. All right, I'm going to take one more question today because I've been spending a lot of time on all the, well, maybe two more. Let's see. Let's see how quickly I get through it. I have a whole four more pages of questions. B. Marie 06, what's your favorite book right now? Oh my goodness. Oh gosh, you're catching me off guard here. So what's my favorite book right now? Well, I just finished, I finished a mystery and of course I can't remember the name of it. So it was good. It was just like a pretty interesting mystery. I am not reading anything of fiction right now. I've just been reading so I'm reading actually about gut health. So I'm really interested in microbiome. So I think the the book is called, I, yeah, if I'd prepared this question, I would know, but it's, it's, I think it's literally called gut health and it's like the expert doctor. She's a female doctor, Harvard trained on gut health. And so I just started it and I'm really interested in the gut biome and um, so much of the, we know now through science and, and all this that major healing happens in your gut first. So um, um, that's what I just started. Literally, I just got it last night on my Kindle. And then I 
am also another great book that I've been reading. I've read it before and I was kind of perusing it with my daughter. It's called Everyday Spiritual Life. It's by Scott Alexander. And it's really just a great book for just simple, simple practices for your own spiritual life. And I just usually read at like, I usually, uh, I've had a really busy week. So that's really what you're catching me off guard because I haven't read much because I've been, I opened up the online training and we had just a huge amount of people come onto it, which is amazing. But I've been celebrating that and also very busy with it. So what I typically do is I have a nonfiction book. It's often physiological, neurological. I love reading books on the brain. I love, love, love. So all the um, neurophysiology that's that's recent, and but also some like fun stories by neurosurgeons. And but I also like anthropology and evolution. I read nonfiction about that, and then fiction. I'll read whatever. Sometimes my my husband and I try and read a book at the same time, and we'll talk about it, and then. Then sometimes I'll have a more spiritual book, but not always. It just depends. So those are that's that I kind of answer your question. I kind of didn't, but hope that helps. But thank you for asking. Okay, so here's one last question. Sarah February asks, I like child's pose with my knees together, teacher's cue, toes together, knees apart. Why? I, well, exactly. You should be, I think what, what teachers are trying to allow for is some space for your torso, literally. So you're when you're hinging at the hips in in child's pose, which is what that is, you've got some space for your torso to go. So so that's one. It, it they're 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 variations. Like child's pose to me, honestly, I don't do child's pose that much. It's weird. I don't know. I just find that it's it's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. But I do I do variations of child's pose. I really like child's pose with the hips high. And the shoulders lower. Like, so if, so imagine your knees are, so this would satisfy your teachers, but also you would, you would maybe bring your knees a little bit wider and your hips high and then thread your left arm under. So you get a little rotation with it, but the hips are high. Sitting way back like that, it's, it's fine. Um, it's just that it's going to, it's passive. It's really passive on the knee, hips, and ankle. And so, there's no right or wrong. I would say if your person is cueing child's pose a lot, then do what feels right for you. Because for you, it might feel better because you're getting a nice, you're going to get more of a back fascial stretch in a way with your knees together because you've got some support and it's going to get a lot into that back. With the knees apart, you might be able to um, free up your hips a little bit more. So typically with the hips, knees far knees farther apart, that means your hips have a degree of external rotation, which tends to op- open up some space in the hip joint. And so that might be re- one reason uh, people cue it. People cue things for a variety of reasons, and often it's just because that's what they learn and they're just continuing. So I would say child's pose is going to be different for different people. And for you, your femurs might not like going into external rotation like that with the knees wide. So I would say do it feels right for you. And hey, by the way, if you don't like child's pose at all, never feel like you have to do it. It's not like it's this glory pose that, my goodness, you know, you should all be able to do it. Some people really don't like it. It really just doesn't feel good in their hips or knees, ankles, whatever. So, you know, I I'm, I actually very rarely cue child's pose. It's kind of funny. I don't know. I'd rather you be on your back and do like like knees in and like really hug hug there, kind of like you were, you were reverse child's pose, but you're on your back because I think that might have more value. It's like active hip flexion. 
versus when you're going back, that's not really active. You're kind of sinking into your hips. So there is my opinion. Take it or leave it. But I hope that answers your question. Send me your questions. You can send them to my Instagram page, lara.hyman, L-A-R-A. You can send them to my email, lara, L-A-R-A, at movementbylara.com. And as always, thank you so much. Check out my classes on Lit Daily. They have a whole variety of levels and opportunities for movement and sensation and feeling and all that good stuff. So I want everybody, my mission is really for everybody to feel better in their bodies, in their hearts and in their minds. So as always, I'm pulling for you and hugs from me to you.